Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and a warm welcome the first in a very exciting five-part menopause podcast series launching this week in celebration of World Menopause Day. Now over the course of the next week I will be bringing you the brightest and best from the menopause world from top medics to brilliant broadcasters and tireless campaigners. Now for those of you who think you've heard it all before do stay tuned it is not all about just having the odd hot flush. Oh no, we are tackling some real taboos as well as some completely fascinating new research and information. And to start the series off with the most fantastic insight as to why this is all just so important, I am truly delighted to be joined here in my studios by Diane Danzebrink, a psychotherapist, menopause expert and well-being consultant. Diane is the formidable driving force behind the Make Menopause Matter campaign that has gone cross-party support in Westminster and well over 28,000 signatures since its launch in October of last year. Now, Diane is passionate about bringing a dramatic societal change in the way we talk about menopause. More on this later. But I do sincerely and wholeheartedly encourage you to head over to change.org and to add your name to the petition just as soon as you have finished listening to this interview. Today, Diane is a force to be reckoned with, counselling and campaigning on behalf of vulnerable women. But just a few years ago, this was not the case. So severe were the psychological symptoms of her menopause that she came very close to taking her own life. Here to discuss these experiences, her campaign work and more. Welcome, Diane. Thank you, Liz. It is so great to have you here in real life, as they say, <laughs> IRL, because again, I have been following you on Instagram for, well, well over a year, probably heading for two years. Yeah. And we met relatively recently at a menopause event. And that's when I heard for the very first time you tell your story. Yes. And it is heartbreakingly harrowing. I mean, it has thankfully a happy ending. Mm. But can we just dive straight in and can you tell us what, what brought you to become this amazing menopause campaigner? Yeah, sure. So in the summer of 2012, I had to have a total hysterectomy. So that was my womb, my ovaries and my cervix. Um, leading up to that, I hadn't been particularly well, um, sort of undiagnosed unwell. Um, and on one particular occasion, I went to my GP, she took some blood tests and she rang me the next morning. And you always know when they ring you the next morning. And she said, could you come back? Because 
we've looked at your blood tests and actually I'm not very happy. Your CA125, um, which is a protein marker in the blood, which is essentially it's the only marker we currently have for ovarian cancer. Although it's really important to say that it can also mark out all sorts of, you know, sort of much less severe things right. than ovarian cancer. But it is the only marker we have. She said it's very, very raised. Um Anyway, so I went back in and she arranged for me to go off and see a gynecologist, etc. How old have you lots at the time? of 40 I was I can, I can never remember. It's either 44 or 45. Okay. Um and no symptoms. No, I hadn't been symptomatic. No. Um and so she um she sent me off. I started going on this round of scans, more tests, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, and it was decided quite quickly that it was likely that I had ovarian cancer. So my mother had ovarian cancer 25 years before. Um, so the decision was taken that I was going to have a total hysterectomy, and to be honest, I was actually okay with that mm-hmm. because that's the way forward for that for that issue. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately because it was all quite done relatively quickly over a period of a few weeks um I didn't really have time to sort of think about okay so what's the you know sort of what's the result of this going to be I knew I'd go into menopause I thought menopause was hot flushes um nobody sat me down before the operation and explained all the complexities to me nobody sat me down afterwards and did that so consequently my only knowledge of HRT was that it was animal derived because that's what my mum had had and there was no way I was having that and so I had my surgery left the hospital within a couple of days and went on my merry way Mm -hmm. being told well just go and see your doctor in a few weeks time really gosh after such an amazing life-changing operation (laughs) and no no call back to to the hospital at all um so off I went and started doing some research for myself and thought well I probably need to support my body after this so I know what I'll do I'll go into London I'll see a nutritionist (laughs) and I'll tell them the story and they will make all this okay um at the time I was having a few quite mild hot flushes it wasn't too bad straight Um, after the surgery yep straight after the surgery but I thought oh do you know what actually I've had the surgery Um, The pathology came back from my ovaries that said that actually the surgery had been done actually probably in the nick of time and I was okay. So as far as I was concerned, it was get on with the rest of your life. You're a very lucky person. Um, Went off, saw this nutritionist. She gave me seven pots, seven different pots of things. Like what? Um, Vitamins? Vitamins, minerals, herbs, etc. I don't like taking, I don't like swallowing anything. (laughs) So that was quite, that was quite a stretch for me anyway. So did she give Um, things like sage for hot flushes? uh, She gave me some quite complex things actually. So off I went, started forcing myself to swallow these things and thought, oh, do you know what? We're kind of several weeks in. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I did go back and see my doctor, sat down in front of her and she said, okay, so HRT. And I said, no, thank you. Why did you say no, thank you? Because of what I knew. Because you thought it was coming from horses. Yeah, because... (laughs) Which of course it isn't. So it wasn't just (laughs) about, it wasn't just about that. It was also, I'm a horse owner, a horse lover. There was no way I was having that. So, but unfortunately when I said no, thank you, 
that's where the conversation so ended. So she didn't say, oh, but hold on a minute. Yeah. The modern HRT comes from wild yams. You're really going to seriously need it yeah. following your history. So that conversation didn't At your age, didn't you absolutely yeah. must have it right. to support you, etc. Right. Okay. So that conversation didn't happen. Right. So I went off and it was sort of from there that things started to go downhill. Um, I started to become increasingly anxious um, I started to withdraw from everybody, really. Um, I started to have panic attacks during the night. Life felt very dark. Um, I would feel quite useless, hopeless and worthless. Um, I was not able to concentrate on my business anymore. Um, I wasn't really functioning at all. I wouldn't answer the telephone. I wouldn't see friends. Gosh. I was too scared to open post. What? Because, and it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But I was too scared to open post because as far as I was concerned, everything was negative. Everything was going to be bad news where, in, in the world that I was living in. Yeah. Um, my poor mother had to be imported to come and live with us because my husband was too scared of what I might do during the day because of the place I was in. They both kept trying really hard to get me to go back to the doctors, mm -hmm. but I kept resisting because I was terrified of the fact that I thought I was going mad. So I thought that I would be put on some kind of either antidepressant or psychiatric medicine for the mm. rest of my life. Mm. So remember that my thinking wasn't rational. No, that's My thinking problem. was very yeah. irrational. Um, this went on for a period of weeks. Gosh, so we're talking weeks, we're not talking years. We're talking relatively quick decline. Yeah, so from my surgery to to the point where things were taken out of my hands was about five months. Super cool, um, so on the day that things were taken totally out of my hands, um, I had not been out of the house for I can't remember how long. And I don't know what came over me, but I decided to get my four Jack Russells, put them in the back of my car and drive somewhere. And I got out onto the road and not very far from us is quite a major road. And when I got onto the major road... I just thought, do you know what, life is just, there is no life, this is not living and if this is what it's going to be like I don't want to be here anymore because I'm too much trouble for everybody around me and I came within a hair's breadth of putting my car in front of a lorry oh and the thing that stopped me <laughs> was the wonderful Henry dog <laughs> who is sadly not here anymore but he barked and he barked just at the crucial moment and it broke my train of thought oh and so I gripped the wheel incredibly hard and shook a lot and drove the few miles home and said what I'd almost done and my husband actually went into the doctors and said you have to see her today mm. we're desperate um, and to be fair to them the amazing doctor that I saw I saw her at eight o'clock that night um and I went in and blubbed and explained you know not very well as well as I could what had been going on and she said okay can we try HRT and I said I'm not having that horse wee and she said no no it's fine you have a choice there's an option but it was only at that point in the experience that anybody had taken the time to explain to me. And in that moment, it was 
a huge weight lifted mm. because I thought there might be hope yeah. for me. But how amazingly fortunate you were going back those last few years to have had that discussion because too many GPs, and we'll come on to this, mm. would not have, A, said, you need the HRT, you yeah. need the oestrogen because yeah. that's what's happened to you. They mm. would first course, they would have put you on antidepressants mm -hmm. or possibly even sectioned you. I mean, yes. you know, you may have been you know, asked to be, you know, have a residential stay somewhere. Um, but then to also know where the HRT comes from. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not all equine and that the modern HRT is. Yeah, absolutely. So huge relief mm. in that sort of in that moment. Um, and because I was in such a, you know, sort of so, because I was so deprived of oestrogen, once I put my first oestrogen patch on, probably within about 48 hours, I started to notice a difference. And it was literally like I'd been living in the dark and the sun came out again. Isn't that amazing? Um, which is just phenomenal. But a couple of weeks later, I just felt really angry. Right. Because I thought, you know, I have been so fortunate in the fact that I have an incredibly supportive husband, an amazingly supportive family. What if you don't have that? Yeah. What if you don't have people around you to look out for you, to support you? You know, I should have had that information prior to my surgery. Of course. Um, and what about those people? It made me think about all those people who maybe have never had that. Mm. And what's happened to them? Yes. And then it made me think, do you know what? This simply cannot go on and I just won't allow it to go on. And I, certainly I was in no place to do anything about it. Um, but I remember saying to my husband on one day, this is ridiculous. We're 51% of the population. Something has got to change. And if I ever feel well again, I'm going to make damn sure I do something about it. And here we are. And here you are. <laughs> so what happened next? What was the next step of the journey? So what actually happened next was I actually, um, I did some retraining. So many years ago, I trained as a counsellor, did something completely different for a lot of years. But I went back and did some more psychotherapy training. I did some trauma training. I also did some um, specialist menopause training for nurses um, so that I could combine those things so that I could help women. Um, so I now work as a menopause counsellor and I also set up something called menopause support because I wanted, although I wanted there to be something for individuals to access, I also wanted something wider. So a sort of a portal for information. Um, I also set up the menopause support network, which is a Facebook community. There's about eight and a half thousand women on there now. Um, and I have a fabulous team of three women who look after it for me on a daily basis. Um, but it's all about factual, evidence-based information. Um, so that's been going on for the last few years. And then in October last year, I, or before October last year, I decided that actually this was all great, but actually we needed a national campaign. So in October last year, I launched the hashtag Make Menopause Matter campaign um, with three aims. So one is to have mandatory training for all GPs in menopause, because shockingly, even though we are 51% of the population, they currently don't get that. Yeah, that is quite <laughs> astonishing. And, you know, let us just repeat that, because I've got quite a young team here at This mm. Our Wellbeing. And I know of somebody who has a college friend, uni friend, who is in her fifth year of medical school training. Mm -hmm. She wants to be a GP. Mm -hmm. uh, and my colleague said, so, you know, how much have you done in menopause? Have you covered that? But yet, oh, no, no, we haven't done anything. Mm. 
And what really staggers me is that they'll do at least three months of obstetrics yes. and gynaecology. Not every woman's going to have a baby. No. But every woman, if she lives long enough, will have a menopause. Exactly. So why this huge chunk of life, as we live older, mm. and of course, as we know, menopause, you know, perimenopause is affecting us really from our 40s onwards, potentially over half our lives. Yep. We're going to have many more years without our periods than with them. <laughs> So there needs to be this greater understanding. So menopause information, mandatory training. Absolutely mandatory. It has to be a minimum, doesn't it? Absolutely. Definitely. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Because it's not, it's not just about the fact that it's costing women both their short-term and their long-term health and well-being, but it's also costing the NHS a fortune because we know that on average it's between four and eight appointments to be diagnosed with menopause, with women going backwards and forwards. We also know that women are being sent off for rheumatology for yeah. aching joints yep. for cardiology for yeah. their hearts. I've had, i know two friends who've had brain scans the ones that scare <laughs> which me which is them. really expensive exactly. and actually no they've just got low estrogen in their brain exactly receptors. the one that scares me the most are the ones who are being sent off to psychiatry yeah. they're the ones that worry me the most mm. um but it's costing a fortune so you know kind of a, a little bit of investment yeah. now osteoporotic fit fractures two billion yeah. a year absolutely six million a day isn't it it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think what I find really difficult to understand is this is a no-brainer. You know, is, is it a gender issue? Is it the fact that it's about women's health? 
you know, the men only have to have a, the minutest erectile dysfunction. And it's like, oh, my goodness, we have so many pills for this. You mm. can even go to your chemist. You don't need a prescription. Is it, you know, if men had to put up with, I don't know, 45 plus significant life changing symptoms yep. of their aging process? Yeah. Would there not be a national outcry or would we have never even reached this stage? I think that's probably true. And I think I don't think that's so much a reflection of on men today. I think that's more a reflection of men and medicine mm. over particularly since the Victorian times. Yeah. So I don't think the Victorians did women a huge amount of service at all. We were told just to get on with it really. I mean it's like you have periods, they hurt, so just get over it. You know, you have children, childbirth, it's painful, just deal yeah. with it. You know, so that that was kind of our lot, if you like. Absolutely. And I think if you look at if you look at the Victorian era where women were essentially they were seen as troublesome and they were confined to asylums. Well think of all that hysteria. Men. I mean that's where the word hysterectomy exactly. comes from. It's, it comes from hysteria. Exactly that. And then you look at women trying to get into medicine in the Victorian times yeah. and that was very much railed against. So I think this is a historical issue mm. that has just not been addressed. Think of all the miscarriages of justice. Oh absolutely. The women in prisons. Absolutely. Potentially should not be there. Absolutely. Um, so for me, yeah. this is now no longer a medical issue. Mm. This is a women's rights issue, right. as far as that. I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've got the GP issue. Then I think we should have guidance in every workplace yep. for how to support women going through menopause. And I think there should be a supportive pathway that they know how to access rather than them having to sort of look for how do I do this? So or, where would you suggest now? So mm. I, I know there'll be a lot of people listening to this and hopefully sharing it amongst their friends and their social media groups, yeah. including employers who mm. are thinking, great, you know, I've got a high number of women in the workforce or, you know, frankly, even just one. Come on, you know, what can we do mm. as, as employers? Where would you want to point people in the direction of at the moment until so, we have that? So at the moment, the Faculty of Occupational Medicine have issued a really useful four-page document. It's really simple, but some really simple ideas on how employers can support staff and how those staff can look to speak to their employers mm. about what's going on for them. Um, also the CIPD have just the Oh my goodness! The some lovely organisation. Something for professional <laughs> development. It's the okay, umbrella nice. organisation for HR. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the so the professional organisation for mm. HR have just had a total sort of revamp of their website and they've just created a menopause mm. hub on their website which has things like it gives an idea of what a policy should look like in the workplace it gives lots of different infographics that can be printed off and put mm. up leaflets mm. information for staff information for employers it's a great yeah. resource and that's all so helpful i mean i know as somebody who's built businesses and employed you know at times hundreds of women it's so important because your team are your business yeah, absolutely. and we need to keep people well. You know, if you look at it purely from a cost mm. of business, we've talked about cost to healthcare, yeah. let alone personal cost, but cost to business, we're being asked to work longer. Our pensionable age is going up yeah. and we're losing the key top women with huge amounts of wisdom and experience at a time you know, when we can ill afford to as a, as a nation, as, a, as business owners and developers. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say, you know, sort of it has a huge drain on the public sector as well, because, you know, I can count, you know, I can tell you I in the last six months, I've counselled four nurses 
and at least three teachers who have mm. all left their professions because of their menopause symptoms and because they couldn't get the right advice and support. Yeah. You know, we're crying out for t teachers and nurses. Yeah. Um, they're the last people we need sure. to be losing. And we need to keep women working well and working longer. Absolutely. And of course, the human cost of it, you know, the cost yeah. of relationships. When we look at that whole relational breakdown of the fabric of society, breakdown of marriages, you know, having difficult relationships with your kids, mm. your teenagers not being understood, having to cope with caring for elderly parents. You yeah. know, it all happens at a time, doesn't it, when we're so overstretched. Definitely. And, you know, from your point, you know, fortunately you, you didn't take that final step um, into the back of a lorry, but far too many women do commit suicide, don't they? Yeah, I mean, in their early 50s. Yeah, I mean, we know that the highest risk for suicide amongst women is between the ages of 50, 50 and 54. The average age of menopause is 51. Now, unfortunately, we don't have research on that. And that's only because that research has never been done. Um, but it, again, it is something that we have to look at. Yeah. And going back to the, you know, sort of the misunderstanding, I think that's why it's so key that we've achieved this aim of having menopause included in the RSE curriculum from 2020. That is fantastic achievement, <laughs> getting that onto the national curriculum. So was that the third point? Because obviously that was we've the got third mandatory aim. GP yes. training. Yeah. We've got um, the workplace yes. information and provisions and policy. And then last but not least is education. Yeah. Because what's been staggering for me is, you know, I'm, I've had five children. Mm. So I've had five occasions where I've had, GPs, I've had you know obstetricians and midwives and health visitors come and see me with you know newborn babies, including a late baby. Yes, yeah. I was fifty-seven when yeah. I had my, my last child, and at no point did anybody ever say to me, "Oh, by the way, Liz, you know, just to let you know, your hormones will play up. Uh, you know, in a few years' time, you can expect to feel a bit different." Or even now, I mean, forty-seven, I hadn't realised I was actually you know I had both pregnancy and perimenopause yeah. at the same time. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, looking back, I now know that so many symptoms ranging from I had issues with my ears mm. and tinnitus mm. and severe headaches and lack of sleep and just feeling generally crabby yes you know, I, I didn't actually feel low but I you know I, I was irritable mm. and I just thought look I've got a young baby I've got you know I was selling a, a business I was very busy at work there was a lot of pressure going on and you just think well that's that's life isn't it that's time of life but yeah I mean, I'm flying now, thanks to HRT, and have been, you know, since literally day one. Absolutely. And I think it's so much about if we if we all have a little bit more knowledge. Mm. So if at 14, 15, 16, we understand what menopause is, roughly when it happens, how you can support somebody. So it could be your mother, your grandmother, sure. who's going through it, how it might affect your life. Um, and then as you get older, where you could go to find support for yourself, but also you're then going to be going into the workplace and you're probably going to be working with women who are experiencing it. Yep. Then you'll have your own experience. And if you're a partner to somebody who's mm. experiencing menopause, yeah. then it also informs you too. And I think it's all about, you know, sort of knowledge definitely is power. And I think it definitely helps us to be a little bit more empathetic and compassionate. Mm. And I think in today's world, that can't be a bad thing. <laughs> completely, completely. And it's almost like the last taboo, isn't it? Yes. It, it is the great unspoken thing. Yeah. And even now, I mean, there has been increasing amounts in the media in recent years. But, you know, I have to hold my hand up here. When I was first asked to write about it by my publishers, because I wrote The Good Menopause Guide, which mm. came out a few years ago, 
I thought, do I really want to be that closely associated? Yeah. You know, I'd written about gut health, I'd mm. written about, you know, pregnancy and having great skin and eating well. But menopause, it, you know, even then was seen as this time of being past it, of yeah. being unreliable and, you know, um, I very much, you know, cast to one side of yes. society yeah. and not having a useful function. And now I think it's just amazing to see all these fantastic perimenopause and menopausal women. And of course, let's not overlook the fact that a significant number of women will have an early, a naturally early menopause without Absolutely. even without surgery. Obviously, anybody having a hysterectomy or cancer treatment may yeah. be plunged into a surgical menopause. But a significant number will have. Yeah, onset. I mean, it's important to say, isn't it, that one in a hundred in their thirties will experience menopause, one in a thousand in their twenties, and one in ten thousand in their teens. Um, now, of course, that is very unusual. But one in a hundred in their thirties—that's not going to be that that's unusual. Not that unusual. Um, no. But unfortunately, again, that often takes quite a lot of time to be diagnosed, mm. and for those women who are having, you know, sort of these very severe hormonal fluctuations yeah. and eventually that sort of being deprived naturally of those hormones they so desperately need, it's absolutely vital for their long-term health mm. that we give them the right advice and support at the right time. You must hear a lot of horror stories now in your work going and talking to women's groups. Mm. Yes, both in that and in supporting women personally, um, and within the group, I mean, I think the thing that I think the thing that probably upsets me the most are those women who have had or are having either a very early or a surgical menopause. I mean, I still find it incredible when I'll give you a for instance, thirty six women, thirty six year old woman the other day. Um, who got in touch with me and said, look, I had my surgery two years ago. I've been to see eight doctors. I've been told by each one that I'm too young to be menopausal. Now, I'm sorry, but that is not, that's not a lack of knowledge about menopause. That's basic physiology. That's your anatomy. Yes. You, know, you take away somebody's capacity to produce those hormones. Exactly. And then you're saying that you're too young to, yeah. mean, that is just shocking. You know, that's, that's disgraceful. Is, are we getting into a case of medical negligence here? I think it's likely that we will see medical negligence cases coming through I do think that you know I did um I did a vlog with a medical legal expert a little while ago um and she said that she had three cases that were sort of on her books at the time now we all know how long these things take yeah. to come to any kind of fruition um but I do think that it will happen mm. um because just far too many women are yeah. they're being ill-advised yeah. or they're being denied first-line treatment yeah. um, and we just simply cannot allow that to go on we wouldn't do that if somebody was diabetic we wouldn't be denying them the right treatment no. Um, there's no way that would happen. No, you wouldn't say, oh, we're not going to give you any insulin. No, you, you of just course go not. home and have a milky drink. And Absolutely. That's, that's what so many women are told when they want to get oestrogen for declining oestrogen levels. Absolutely. And I think there's still so mm. much fear and so much misinformation mm. around HRT. Yeah. Um, amongst the public but also very yeah. much against amongst the medical yeah. community which is crazy when the nice guidelines on menopause came out in 2015 yeah and are very clear absolutely about its safety and efficacy and how it needs to be used mm. and 
so few doctors have read them or are up to date with that. Yeah, and that's, you know, so that's that's really, that's a national policy issue because not long after the guidelines had come out, I wrote to NICE and said to them, look, it's great to have these guidelines, but I'm hearing from women that they're not being implemented. And they essentially wrote back and said, well, it's our job to produce them. It's not our job to implement them. It's up to the individual CCGs. What's a CCG? So the clinical commissioning group for the area. So each group has its own clinical commissioning. So supposing you have a GP who hasn't read or decides not to follow the NICE guidelines. Mm -hmm. Is that something in the future that you think could be challenged in the courts? Uh, yeah, I, because I think that NICE guidelines are national. Yes. Um, so we should be implementing them. You so either yeah. have a guideline or you don't. Yeah, I mean, it's, exactly. It's, otherwise, why have it? And unfortunately, yes. what I'm hearing far too often from women is if they go to their GP and say to them, you know, sort of, have you seen the guidelines? Have you read them? Mm. Quite often they're told, well, they're guidelines. That's all they are. They're just mm. guidelines. Um, well, no, I, I did actually hear also from a medical legal expert that GPs do run the risk of legal action if mm. they don't follow guidelines. Yeah. Because that's what they're there for. Yeah. But, you know, it's, sort of, it should it's, be... It's not an opinion. No. It's a, it's a statement of fact. And it should, be a, the it should be a government directive yes. that these things are... What's the point of us wasting well, I mean, money what, on producing them? Would you say not to a diabetic, well, it's, it's the guidelines to give you insulin, <laughs> but actually... Do you know what? I don't think I think you could, I think you'd be better off with antidepressant. Actually, Absolutely. it would cheer you up a bit more. Absolutely, or a milky drink. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just madness, isn't it? It's madness. Well, you know, with people like you, we will cut through that madness. <laughs> I'm in awe of everything that you're achieving. Now, you are leaving this sofa and you are heading off literally today back into Parliament. Is that I right? am. So, yes. what are you going to be doing? So, this afternoon, I am heading to a meeting with Paula Sheriff MP, who I've met before. Um, who heads up the Women's Health APPG. So that's the all-party parliamentary group. So that's a group of cross-party MPs Great. who come together to look at all things women's health. So I'm going to meet an extended group mm -hmm. of those women today so that we can talk about what we need to do as far as menopause is concerned. To put policies in place yes. to make sure that change happens. Absolutely. Diane, you're an absolute legend. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for kicking off our week. It's brilliant to have you here. And that does bring us to the end of today's first episode. So please do head over now to change.org and sign Diane's Make Menopause Matter petition. As you've heard, it really will help make a difference to literally millions of women's lives, both now and in the future. Now, as always, you can find more information and resources over on lizardwellbeing.com, including my tell-all ebook, The Truth About HRT. Much more about that coming up in the week. And tune in tomorrow as I will be talking to the consultant gynaecologist and secretary general of the International Menopause Society, Mr. Nick Panay. We're going to be taking a deep dive into the problems surrounding unregulated, compounded, bioidentical HRT. A truly fascinating listening, absolutely not to be missed. So until then, thank you for joining us. Go well. Bye-bye. Hey, 
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-N. L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.